Welcome to Soundprints Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Soundprints is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushevel. I'm your host for this week's magazine. Welcome to Soundprints for the week of April 9, 2023. We begin with several announcements. The Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired, KCB's chapter in Owensboro, invites everyone to its April meeting on Tuesday, April 11, from 1 to 3 p.m. Central Time. The meeting will be in person at the Wesleyan Heights United Methodist Church at 1215 Sherm Road in Owensboro. If you can't be there in person, you can join on the KCB Zoom line by dialing 669-900-6833 and entering the code 862 862- Nine eight eight nine six nine seven two. For more information about the meeting and Savvy, contact Scott Heads, Savvy President, at two seven zero nine two five zero one eight three, or share a lot, Savvy's immediate past president, at two seven zero six eight six eight six eight nine. The South Central Kentucky Council of the Blind. KCB's chapter in Bowling Green invites you to its social hour each Wednesday from 2 to 3 p.m. Central, 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern. This week's meeting is on Wednesday, April 12, and their speakers will be from the American Printing House for the Blind. Alan Lovell is the Information and Referral Services Coordinator at the American Printing House for the Blind Connect Center. The APH Connect Center is a free information and referral service on blindness and low vision. The department consists of an IR hotline that folks can call to have questions related to blindness and low vision answered or researched by professionals who are knowledgeable in the field of blindness and several web platforms curated with information relating to adults, seniors, and professionals families with low vision or blind children, and careers and job seekers. Our services can be accessed on our landing page at www.aphconnectcenter.org. Joe Hodge will also be joining the call. Joe works in the Technology Product Research Department at APH and is an expert on their tactile braille devices. He will be able to fill us in on both what is currently available and the exciting new technology coming down the pike. Join the call by dialing 669-900-6833 and entering the code 763-689-4411. The passcode is 25852. The Eastern Kentucky Christian Council of the Blind will hold an in-person meeting at noon on Saturday, April 15, at the Breathitt County Library in Jackson. For more information about the meeting and the Eastern Kentucky Council, contact Ronnie Patrick, EKCCB President, at 606-671-0226. The next meeting of the Tri-State Library users will be on Saturday, April 15, at 11 a.m. on the KCB Zoom line. Tri-State will be talking about the book, 1,000 Gifts, A Dare to Live Fully Right Where You Are. 
It is by Anne Voskamp, V-O-S-K-A-M-P, published in 2010. The Bard number is DB74783. The book opens with a family tragedy and the author asking how she can ever be happy again. She describes her journey to discover how we can live fulfilled and happy in a crazy, chaotic world. Everyone is invited to participate in the discussion and in the chapter business meeting that will follow. Join the Zoom call by dialing 669-900-6833 and entering the code 862-9889-6972. The Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will be holding its next virtual support group meeting on Wednesday April 19 at 8 p.m. on the KCB Zoom line. Watch the KCB events email list for information on the topic for the evening and plan to bring your questions and tips for discussion as well. The Greater Louisville Council of the Blind has several roundabouts planned for the rest of April. The Greater Louisville Council of the Blind roundabout on Friday, April 14 will be virtual from 7 to 9 p.m. on the KCB Zoom line. We'll be reading an excerpt from the popular book, Who Moved My Cheese?, and discussing how it can impact our lives. As time permits, we'll also have a short page-turners where you can share books you've enjoyed reading. Then on April 21, GLCB will be holding its spring quarterly meeting. This is a hybrid roundabout with dinner at 5, bargain table at 6, and the program meeting and elections from 7 to 9. GLCB will be electing officers for two-year terms. The slate of candidates presented by the nominating committee includes President Natalie Couch, First Vice President Patty Cox, Second Vice President Kendall Perry, Secretary Terry Turlow, and Treasurer Deanna Scoggins. The meeting will be at United Crescent Hill Ministries, 150 South State Street in Louisville, from 4 until 9, and on the KCB Zoom line from 7 to 9. Remember to call ahead at 502-895-4598 if you will be having dinner with us. The cost is $6 per person, and carryouts are available if ordered in advance. On April 5, Ed Rogers... Managing Director of Bristol Braille from England, joined the South Central Kentucky Council of the Blind to talk about the Canute 360. This device has nine lines, 360 cells of Braille, which allow the reader to get the full context of the text, not just a fragment. You can hear his presentation, edited for time, on page 2. The Canute will allow you to do the following. Read literary Braille in whole paragraphs. Read tables and lists, not single items. Read code in full functions. Read mathematical matrices and algebraic problems. Read both hands of sheet music on one page. Read bar charts and other tactile diagrams. In other words, read Braille as Louis intended and more. Find out what Canute can do for you on page 2. 
Listen to Sound Prince each week on ACB Media One, the mainstream channel. Our broadcast times are Sunday at 8 p.m., Monday at 8 a.m., Tuesday at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m., Wednesday at 4 a.m. and 4 p.m., Thursday at 10 p.m., and Friday at 1 a.m., 10 a.m., and 1 p.m. You can also listen on your Victor Stream or on the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Listen anytime, 24 hours a day, on the KCB information line at 773-572-6318. Request a free subscription to Soundprints on CD, playable on any standard CD player, by calling us at 502 Eight nine five four five nine eight. Page two. Welcome everybody. This is SDKCB, and today we're getting a presentation from Ed Rogers from Bristol Braille, talking about their new refreshable Braille display, multi-line. Yeah, thank you. Hi everyone. My name's Ed Rogers. I'm the managing director of Bristol Braille Technology. We're a company from Bristol which is in the UK. Uh, For those who've been to the UK, it is about two hours' drive west of London, just underneath Wales. We're a not-for-profit company, and I have spent personally 15 years trying to build Braille, which is not only more affordable but also more useful. And to that end, we have spent most of that time building multi-line Braille displays. Yeah, so uh, the Canute the Canute 360 is a a nine line Braille display, which we first released at the end of 2019. This is a 360 cell Braille display over nine lines, and the price of the price of the device is in dollars about three thousand dollars, I believe these days, is a conversion. And that compares pretty favorably to a 40-cell Braille display, which is often more than the same equivalent in dollars. Totally our own technology. It doesn't use piezoelectric cells. Um, You can buy it in the States through our distributors like American Thermoform, AT, Dots. And that's, like I said, been out in the market since the start of 2020, realistically. That's when the first people started getting them delivered to them. And we've been really pleased with how people are taking it up and using it. But that is an ebook reader. That's a standalone device meant primarily for reading books. Oh. So what we've been working on since and what we've been working on in particular over the last 15, 16 months is a successor device called the Canute Console. And the Canute Console uh, can is actually... You can take an, if anyone who already own a Canute 360, you can upgrade it to a Canute console. And what it is, is it, for those of you who are a bit familiar with the L Braille, it's not entirely dissimilar concept. The, the Canute itself is 14 inches wide, uh, eight inches front to back, and it's about an inch and a quarter deep. So that's like a chunky um, uh, volume, if you like. And it weighs about six pounds. It's a desktop device. These are not these are not meant for using on the go. What the console does is it puts that into a dock, which has its own computer, a pull-out keyboard, and a big 
13-inch high-contrast monitor. And the big innovation is that the text on the monitor is also 40 characters by nine lines. And it shows in exactly the same layout, um, exactly the same text as what's on the Braille display. So you can actually run your hand across the Braille display, feel a line, and feel the middle of the line and say, oh, I, I, I need to go working with a colleague. And then you can run, you could almost run a ruler up and see exactly what that says in print. And you can also do graphical representations. Now, we're initially using this because we are a small company and we're focusing initially on what we think is the most immediately compelling um, use case for this device, which is computer science. And that's because having nine lines of text where you get the exact layout of the space is really useful for programming. Not only that, though, you can, because this runs off uh, Linux, it runs, the whole thing runs on the Linux command line. Uh, it, like I said, is a computer science tool primarily. It's suitable for anyone that's uh, either familiar with the command line or prepared to have a go at learning it. Because uh, it runs off the command line and because it has multiple lines of text, any graphical application which can run from the command line can automatic, will automatically be converted into a Braille version of the same. You know, if you have got an ASCII sort of application, so for example, if you're developing a, um, a table-based piece of software, oh, then those okay. tables will be represented in the on Braille in exactly the same form as they are in print. So I appreciate that there's a lot of concepts in there. So I maybe pause to see if we've got some questions to I can try and explain myself a little better. Do we have any questions? There's one from Julie. Go ahead, Julie. Hi there. Thank you. Um, this is fascinating. So the main difference, if I understand it correctly, is the formatting is exact to the print screen. I was wondering if the difference might be that it would be a port more portable and um, it's not a standalone note taker screen. Is that correct? Okay. Definitely not a note taker. It is a workstation for doing some fairly serious development work or playing around with. So some of the applications we've built on it, some of them not taking any time at all to really develop and which would previously not be possible at all. Yeah. One is a tactile um, match replay engine. So for football, soccer football, um, there is a set of data made available online. There's quite a few data sets like this, which describes every single play, every single ball movement of a mm. game. Um, and those games are then published, and this is all automatically done by a company called StatsBomb, amongst others. We take this data, you, I took, it only took a couple hours to program this, and it then draws a tactile pitch. It simultaneously draws an identical visual pitch on the monitor. Wow. And you can press the space bar, and every time you press the space bar, it'll move on to the next move, the next ball movement. It'll redraw the ball. You can draw the players on it as well, although I take that off for speed's sake, because it refreshes one line at a time, and if you try and draw every player, it slows the game down. Um, and then, and, and, and that's just really a really good companion for understanding a game. So, for example, one of our testers, Theo, is 16, went to see um, 
a game yesterday, actually, at a stadium, and he's going to go home, and he's got a Canute console, and we've asked for the data to be released so that he can then play the game back and understand exactly what was happening when the commentary was saying that this is, you know, the ball is in the mm. in, in Chelsea's half. The same data set is available for American football, and uh, no doubt you can do the same for cricket and basketball and so on. But that only took a couple of hours, and the point is that it would not previously be possible to, to, to represent that. And maybe more, it's very interesting to be able to show people um a computer game, uh, sorry, com- yeah, computer game output. We do Snake as one example for people for, for people who want to play the old Nokia game Snake, um, or to watch soccer matches. But the bigger use case for this is those people who are developers and are very good developers, or they're coming through very well in their co- their college, but they're coming up against lots of barriers because they're they're reading Braille or they're doing text to speech, and essentially they're only getting linear. Output. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When you're trying to, when when the world is uh, largely full of applications designed for sighted people, which are expected to be spatial, it's really useful to be able to to, to lay out your text and to check that the, that the layout is the same because you're not laying it out in Braille; you're laying it out visually on the screen, and it's converted into Braille. So you know when you draw a box using ASCII art around a character, for example, if you're doing a flowchart to do a presentation, you know that that will show up the same for your sighted colleagues as it is for you as a, as a Braille reader. Mm-hmm. And that makes, that, that sort of opens up opportunities without people having to make mm-hmm. the famous reasonable adjustments within a workplace. You just enable people to, to work with existing tools more. And my computer bleeped out when you said the cost. What is the cost of these again? The cost of the Canute 360 itself, uh, which is the basic display without a without a monitor or, or keyboard or, or um, workstation, that is £2,500, which I think is about $3,000. Mm-hmm. I'll do a conversion whilst we're here. That's the sort of thing I should have double-checked. pound isn't worth very much these days, <laughs> uh, conveniently. <laughs> so the cost of the Canute console, which is currently on pre-order, uh, and has a discount is three thousand eight hundred pounds, which if you just give me a second, so there's four thousand seven hundred dollars. So you get three hundred and sixty cell braille display with that, including a computer, a keyboard, um, and a um, a thirteen inch monitor for co-work. Wow! Thank you. And the computer runs Linux. The computer runs Linux, and the reason for that is, well, firstly, that it, 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 we're using the Raspberry Pi 4 as the base for it, and, and that's, a, that's a very common platform used in education around the world, and one of the use cases for this, of course, is in education. And the other reason for it is that the, is that the, the um, command line application base, the number of applications which are run off the command line is so much richer and larger for Linux than it is for Windows. Mm-hmm. You can, of course, use this device, and it's called a console advisedly for a reason. You can use it as a terminal. So you can use it to control your desktop computer or your work or your work computer, whether that's Linux or Windows or Mac OS or anything else. You can use it as a device or controlling other computers and to log in to servers and so on. Joel, you had a question? Yes, I actually have two questions. The first question I have is, 
Um, in regards to formatting, will it notice um, things like color changes? Encoding that color changes like to red can be really important. If you wanted to uh, to do that, that would be that is a pretty straightforward thing to add in okay. to an application. But I haven't personally added that in, and that isn't built mm -hmm. into BLTTY. So the screen reader. But it reader can be done. It can be done on a custom basis. So, for example, what you would do is you'd have a bash script. Sorry if I get extra technical here, but if you're, um, if you, if you, um, if you've got an application which you know the color is important for it, then it is possible to either commission or write your own script, which mm. would give a sort of interline, effectively using the line underneath to give you the color data of the line above. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, so if I were doing, like, say I was doing some C++ and I used red to indicate an error, um, which is pretty common for coders to have a red as the error code, um, then it would use an interline. If I did a script with that, I could do interline where it indicates that, hey, this is a red. That means there's a problem with this code. That's a, that's a, that's a, a theoretical use that, we've, that people have speculated about using the community okay. for a while. That would be awesome. Um, so I'm not going to promise. And there is no okay. – can do not out of the box do that at all, but it's mm -hmm. not hard to do that effectively. Okay. As long as you are comfortable with scripting, then you could uh, either work with Braille TTY or you could hack uh, the application itself in order to give you that output. Now, okay. um, those are workarounds because, of course, we're, just, we're not reinventing Braille. Um, mm -hmm. The one other thing you could do is embed that information in the output on the screen mm -hmm. uh, by having using short codes. But that, of course, you could also do with single line braille displays. The other of question course, I have is yeah, um, if uh, you think there will be a lot of people developing games for this, um, I could see games similar to like the um, TS uh, calculators like Frogger and stuff be really cool on a console like this. Yeah, I've already built some games myself for it, Snake being the first one. Um, oh. And um, Snake works really well. Uh, I'd love we to had... see Frogger. That should be Frogger, pretty easy, I'd huh? I've been meaning to do that one, but unfortunately, yeah. uh, I'm actually interested in in taking existing tools and doing minimal mm -hmm. changes and showing them on the commute, because that's very much the point. I'm, I'm trying to mm -hmm. show that up existing tools, not that mm -hmm. it's a, a platform for building really, really custom stuff. This is Mickey. I have a question about, um, so can you describe the unit? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the, I'll start again with the Canute 360, which for clarity's sake is the standalone e-reader display, because like I said, we do sell two versions. And the older machine, the standalone one, that one is essentially a rectangle. It has, uh, it's 14 inches wide. It's eight inches front to back. It's actually about seven and a half, and it's about an inch and a quarter inch and a third high. The Braille takes up a majority of the space on the top. Uh, it, in fact, it has the highest proportion of Braille um, per surface area of any Braille display. And that Braille is 40 characters wide and nine lines long. The space between lines is about 50% 50, <clears throat> 50 more than you would expect from print, from paper print braille. It's uh, precisely 15 millimeters from dot one to dot one. 
The braille itself is hard braille. It's what people often describe as, as signage quality braille. You can't press the pins down. Uh, in fact, you can't stop the pins coming back up. Um, a lot of people have said, I thought braille, I thought multi-line braille displays are really sensitive and you can't keep your hand on them when they're refreshing and so on. No, that's some other technologies are much more expensive multi-line braille displays. Ours works fine. You can't possibly stop the braille from coming up or going down again. Uh, the braille itself is white. The background of the device is black. However, it is a bit hard to sight read the braille because there is white between the braille dots. It is possible to sight read, but it's not perhaps as convenient as on some braille displays. Very much designed for touch reading. That's the braille display itself. It has buttons uh, along the front and the side for navigating around a book. It's designed to, to be used by people who have no previous experience of um, even using a computer. It's simply a library. And the a reason I describe that in such depth when we're here to talk about the Canute console is because the same display, the same unit is used as the centerpiece of the Canute console. So that is then slotted onto a dock, that same device, that elevates uh, the display by about an inch. So now it is about uh, two, two and a third inches high off the ground, the, 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 the display. Um, there is a tray underneath, and when you pull the, under, which slides underneath the display, and when you pull it out, you have a QWERTY keyboard on there, a full QWERTY mm. keyboard. Uh, not a QWERTY, not full with, um, with the um, with the number pad, it's not it's not wide enough. It's 14 inches wide. It's a little. It's the console is a more like nine inches front to back, so or eight and a half. So it's a little bit deeper, and that's to accommodate the extra ports and so on. It has a lid which fits exactly over the top of the display. When you unfold the lid, that is where the monitor is. These devices, like I said, are desktop devices. They do not run off batteries. That is not a limitation of the technology. That is a um, a decision we made in order to get it to the market within our uh, restricted budgets, as everyone does have in Braille, where it can be hard to certify batteries to, for export. Um, so this is a desktop device. That gives you a sense of the the overall physicality of it. The ports are on the left-hand side, and um, the device weighs, the, the Canute weighs about uh, six pounds. The Canute console weighs about seven pounds. So I have another question. Have you considered also uh, marketing this for people who are creating maps that are accessible to everyone? Um, I could see tactile maps being something that um, this could really do well with, like converting um, graphical maps to something that a blind person could use very quickly. Well, I'm glad you asked that one. That is the most. That is the favourite thing that I have done with it, oh. and I'm totally obsessed with mapping on this console now. I'm supposed to yeah. be acting director. I'm supposed to be doing quite a lot of different things. I find myself spending several hours a day trying to develop uh, different ways of doing mapping, and it is going really well. Um, I'll tell you where we've got to so far, and then I'll tell you my aspirations for mapping. This is just what I've put together with a couple of people, though, a couple of Braille readers and a couple of testers. Other people could take a totally different direction. What I've done, um, I'm not a good programmer. I'm more of a scripter, really. I, can't, I can just sort of throw things together. I do so just enough in order to express the ideas that I'm trying to. 
do. So I took a pre-exist some pre-existing code which originally was used for making a character move around a dungeon. This is a simple demonstrator. It's an educational program to 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 show people how to learn to program. I took that and I used that um, to demonstrate how easy it is to develop spatial applications on the Canute. But I got ambitious, so I plugged it in to um, OpenStreetMap data. You give oh, it wow. a longitude and latitude. I'm going to skim over some a lot of the detail because, of course, various parts of this are a bit cranky and I've sort of bodged it. But the the idealized version of this, which is how it would work if I had another day or two to, to fix things up, is that you give it a, a longitude or latitude or you give it a node, a, ploy, a, a place. So, for example, uh, the bus stop on the corner of Wine Street and Broad Street in Bristol. And it then draws a map uh, of, of, a, of X distance around that, 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 that point. And then you have a character, which is the letter I on, in Braille. Um, and that character then moves around and you, every square represents about four yards as a, uh, every cell, sorry. So you can imagine the scale. That's just the scale I chose though. And then you can walk your character around using the arrow keys. And when you get to the edge of the map, it refreshes and you appear, your character appears on the other side of the next page of the map. Um, the test we've done on that, we've got a two miles by two mile version of Bristol in my hometown, which I picked because I needed to make sure that the layout was working properly. So I needed to make sure that the streets weren't doing anything weird. Um, and that works really well. I gave this device with that code, which wasn't meant to be really used or demonstrated. It's just something I played with. I gave that to um, the aforementioned Theo, and who, like I said, is 16. He lives in Cambridge in England. And he, uh, without telling me, just spent about uh, a day or half a day with a mentor, a programming mentor of his, and made a map of Cambridge, and now is moving around a map of Cambridge and playing oh. with it and looking at plugging it into a, a massively multiplayer online world Thing that he plays called well it's not massively it's a mud a multi-user dungeon um what i've been playing with now is a, a nice graphical output because at the moment the graphical side of things is the braille looks really nice uh it's sort of braille ascii as you can expect i'm using computer braille for most of this because of the one for one um thing oh i should mention it's all six dot braille uh, we'll come back to that if we need to um what I've been working on recently is making it something which is much more visually appealing. So that, just as you mentioned in your question, is something that could be used by anyone. And the point is that as a Braille using developer, you don't want it to be flaming obvious that you developed this for Braille. You want it to be visually appealing as well, and but have exactly the same data in Braille. So what we're doing now is switching it to be using emojis, so emoticons. So you have, so you have for example, pictures of a house to represent where a house is, pictures of a library to represent where a library is, pictures of a tree to represent where parks are. Um, and that's working That's working fine. Um, the map looks really pretty now, actually. And then you've got, then you have, again, the same the same data represented on the Braille display, but rather than a, a, rather than a picture of a house on one cell, it might have the letter H. The, I, the letter I to represent where the person is, and originally I was just using that because if it was a because uh, it enabled me to put a, a bit of a pun in the description of 
describing how to do it. So I I am your parent. Right, exactly. Um, but then when I put a, when I was looking for an emoji, I was thinking of putting a, a you know, a character, a, a, a little, a little stick man or something in, in there to represent where the person is. But I realized that there was a, um, that there was a, a cane in emojis, which has, of course, the same slant. It slants up like an eye in braille, which makes it even easier for the, a sighted person to be able to find it on the braille display and vice versa because it looks like an eye. So, so it's now it's now a cane. So basically, you're at this point you're you're representing the emojis as certain different characters, not yeah, actually a picture of the emoji in braille. I st I haven't I haven't finished that yet. Um, okay. But Currently, the version of the app that we talked about is is using ASCII, just ASCII characters for the visual version. Okay. What I'm interested in doing is replacing the ASCII characters on the visual version with emojis, and then you you use um, glyphs in the screen reader to tell the screen reader that when you're in this application, load this contraction table and represent this emoji, for example, a tree, as the letter T. I'm actually considering I'll have to save up and maybe get a grant and save up for my part of it and get, get this device. I was going to say, at the moment, there is a pre-order for the first. We're only mm -hmm. releasing 30 to start with um, mm -hmm. because, of, um, well, because we're a small company and we're scaling back up. We were in full right. production, but then like lots of people, we had to scale that down because of the supply chain. So we're starting with a pre-order of 30. Uh, and to get on that pre-order, you um, you put in um, a 50% down payment. But we will be um, we will be looking at in the next week or so. I think we are going to put down payment in installments, so I can get back to you if it's useful. Oh, to wonderful! Me. And also, um, when with somebody pre-orders, when are these rolling out, and when would you expect for more to be available? If somebody can't get one of the thirty, they the first ones are going out um, around the, end, the start of May. Wow, that's um, soon. That's soon. I know. Don't remind me. It's terrifying. But, <laughs> um, I mean, we've got prototypes. They're all working. The question is just whether we, you know, whether, whether we want to make any last-minute changes, and if you do, whether mm -hmm. that throws everything off. But we've got prototypes. That's all working. Um, uh, but we're building initially, like I said, we're not scaling the team up yet. That's why it's a small pre-order. Um, so it depends on, it depends basically on in what part in that queue you are. So there'll be first come, first serve, mm -hmm. and it until the end of July uh, for if you put an order in now, for example. I was going to say hopefully sooner than that, um, but I don't want to make any promises because I've, of course, I've, too many crazy things happen with supply chains. Right. In terms of, we would open it up. Uh, to be perfectly frank, that depends on when we receive um, a large enough capital that enables us to do mm -hmm. so on a bigger scale. As I'm sure you appreciate, a lot of people okay. in this industry are either backed by venture capitalists, and you never really know what's going to happen with them, or like us, just sort of hand to mouth. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I'm very proud of our team, though, that we've managed to develop not only the world's first multi-line braille display, apart from, of course, the hyper braille, which I think is $80,000 or something, um, but then develop this, the first multi-line braille workstation, 
on a fraction. I think over over ten years, we've it's cost us about a million dollars or a million pounds over about ten years. So, would you like to take? I, I should give it at some point out my, our contact details. If I say it out now, would that be in your yes, you getting contact? Yes, good. That'd, That'd be, be lovely. And because um, right now, uh, Jill, we are looking. We basically part of the pre-order is we take two hundred pounds off the cost, so it's three thousand eight hundred pounds, which, like I said, is about four thousand seven hundred dollars. Um, and that includes, I think it's three hours, three hours of development time on our part to, to help develop anything you want. Obviously, three hours isn't going to come up with a program, but it can come up with a demo, or it can help you develop something if you are yourself a developer, or it can help mm -hmm. us. So. Basically, the reason we're doing that is not just as an incentive. It's because the reason we're getting these early machines out is we want to see what people want to use it for, and we want to build the use cases around our early adopters. Mm -hmm. So if someone comes in and suggests that they're interested in maps, and we get three people interested in maps, then the direction that we take with this will start to become very map-heavy. That's by design, and that's why we're putting our own development efforts in um, for anyone that does a pre-order. So it's Something to bear in mind if and when you're able to, to put a pre-order down is keep in mind what, what it is you might want to use it for because. I think there's a lot of interest also in the, the, just the nine line reading aspect of the Canute. Um, oh, could you talk about, um, that particular device? Like, um, about how to go about getting books onto the device or, and also the energy conversion. We, we have a different, I guess, board or outlet or whatever you want to call it here. Is, will we be able to convert that to our energy source here in America? <clears throat> On the last point, yes, it works at 110 volts. That's fine. We send it out with different, what we call kettle leads. I don't know if it's still called a kettle lead, um, but yes, we send out with an American plug for the adapter. Um, so there's no problem with with the energy usage there. Okay. The uh, the Canute 360, like I said, is designed for reading books, and it's designed for people who do not necessarily have any experience of did any digital reading at all. And that was particularly important for us. We spent uh, a long time designing that. The Canute console is very much a project that came together quickly and is full of bursting with ideas and is something which we spent the last 15 months just pouring all our ideas into and letting it see how it expresses itself until I end up doing a, uh, you know, a Rocky Balboa face recognition software. But, you know, all sorts of daft ideas. It's kind of fun. The Canute 360 something that we spent many years working with a community group. We actually founded a charity um, called the Brailis Foundation, initially based around just working out what the Canute 360 should do, with the very serious aim of making as many Braille books as possible available to people um, in digital multi-line Braille. So it's got, you load so the interface has had a lot of care put into it, and it's very simple. It is perhaps too simple um, for someone that you, we are going to add some more features soon for a firmware update. But what it does is it gives you, it has an SD card slot. That is the person's library. So you must have an SD card in where it stores most of your books. It will also store your state, 
meaning the last book that you're in. You can use S you can use USB sticks as well, although we always recommend that someone keeps an SD card in. Uh, it reads BRF files. It also reads something called portable embosser files, but no one tends to use those outside of um, a few places in uh, Europe. Mm. So Braille-ready files is its format. And it, it doesn't do line wrapping because it's 40 cells wide. So the whole thing about it is it's, that the Canute is designed for taking good quality, pre-formatted, uh, braille files and make them look exactly the same as they would on paper braille, except of course the line spacing is a little wider. So the line spacing is more like reading interline. Uh, some people can find that a little hard to adjust to initially, but it hardly takes any time at all. And a lot of people actually quite like the extra line space. Does that mean that you, if you put those BRF files on a, an a SD card, they you have you would load them page one page at a time, but those pages would look exactly like they would if you were using a braille document. A, yes, you know, exactly. yeah, yeah, that's right. You'd load them a third of a page at a time. So um, okay. because it's fine lines, because uh, in the U.S., of course, braille pages are usually twenty-five lines. Mm -hmm. In the Commonwealth and the and the U.K. Uh, braille pages are usually 27 lines, so mm. we went for a nine-line braille display so that it splits a braille page over three. Neatly okay. in the case of a 27-line document, or two pages of nine and then two, one page of, of uh, seven. So what it will do is it will load that and it will have exactly the same white space. It will have exactly the same page breaks. Um, mm. The headings will be indented exactly the same, uh, but it will break... Uh, on um, on the ninth line. It doesn't reflow anything. That's important to us. We didn't want it to reflow anything. We wanted to we wanted to to give full expression for the, the the layout of the page as it was done by a transcriber. I imagine that would be really good for um, chart heavy documents like for uh, math and science. The Canute 360 actually works really nicely for math. And one of some of our earliest tests were people using people in a, a school, RNC, the Royal National College, came along and gave us some of their BRFs, which they would normally have to emboss out. And you, you're able to put three different, um, you know, line, line over line equations next to each other in three different columns all on one page. Uh, it's really useful for students. The other thing I have to talk about um, before I forget, because I only discovered this myself, I was at CSUN recently. And being at CSUN, I was um, ambushed by our distributor, uh, Dancing Dots, who would, gave me a demo of um, the Canute 360. This is the Canute 360, the actual braille display, uh, not the Canute console, which is yet to be released. The Canute 360 on its own being controlled by Duxbury. So Duxbury have actually released um, I think it's 16.4 or something like that. Anyway, the latest version of Duxby DBT, if you plug a Canute in using USB-B cable, then Duxby can now output to the Canute and it will the Canute represents the Braille output. And that's really powerful for people doing things like maths because then you can have a teacher doing some maths input on one and then the student doing the other input, you know, and so on and so forth. And, of course, as a professional transcriber, 
you can see the braille output without having to emboss it. And that would allow for vertical math equations in one in it. Yes. Yeah, I mean, um, strikes and styluses are another one of my um, personal passion projects to try and reintroduce them into the UK because they have not mm -hmm. been used for a long time. And the Braillists have distributed a lot of free uh, Braille frames, as we call them, or, or slates. I, I have <clears> to <throat> say a full-page slate and stylus is an invaluable tool for a math student. Essentially, the Canute becomes a Braille uh, slate mm -hmm. In that when it's plugged in and used as a braille uh, mm -hmm. display for computer. Um, at the moment, the only two devices that are using that are Duxby DPT and the Canute console. So the Canute console mm -hmm. obviously uses the Canute as a display. Um, yeah, I think it's very useful having that ability to be able to move up and down. I wanted to make sure that, uh, Lisa, did you get all the answer you need about the 360 and reading text? I was trying to maybe address anticipated questions I thought maybe some of the people on the call might be curious about, you know, as far as a, a reading standpoint for those of us who aren't into uh, coding or formatting or any of these things, I think we're really interested and fascinated about being it. The possibility to read nine lines at a time, and Ed, if you, if you could anticipate maybe anything else if you could be a mind reader of such, <laughs> anything you may not have uh, mentioned yet that we might find interesting. Okay. Or, I will yeah. attempt to read some minds. Um, <laughs> Thank you. It's, it's worth describing the mechanism a little more of how it refreshes. I mentioned very passingly that it refreshes one line at a time. It's worth going into that in some more detail. I also mentioned this is not a piezoelectric display. It's our own technology. So... It refreshes one line at a time. Those lines take up to a second to refresh. They can they can be faster. It depends on the type of refresh. Uh, it's from a, I could explain exactly, but generally it's worth the saying that it, it will take it takes up to a second to refresh one line, and then it will refresh uh, all those lines that have changed. It will not refresh a line that hasn't changed. So if um, if you are editing a document, then it will only refresh the line that you're editing. If you're changing page to a new page in a book, it will change all of those lines. What this feels like is the line um, which is changing will disappear. It will disappear downwards, and then it will pop back up, um, maybe three quarters of a second later, with a different pattern on it. Whilst it's doing that, you'll hear a whirring motion, um, and that motion is a lot of rotational disks being moved around because there are no pins in a Canute 360. There are only uh, dots which are embossed onto rotors. Um, it's kind of hard to explain, but the gist of it is we avoid having the pins, and that's because if you've got 360 cells of Braille times six, that's something like 2,160 pins, they will, one of those will go wrong at some point. So we aren't using pins at all to avoid having so many moving parts. We're using rotating disks. Um, uh, this means that you get a sort of a whirring motion. Um, when you start the Canute up, it will make a sort of a, a louder resetting motion. It sounds like a um, like an old uh, dot matrix printer. It quietens down when you've got it running, but it always makes a noise. Um, so it's not instantaneous, it's not silent, 
Uh, it's the sort of sound which I think most people tend to end up enjoying Actually, it, it sounds funny, but you enjoy the sound when you're reading it, but you wouldn't necessarily use it in the middle of a dead silent exam hall. Um, in most cases, it's fine. Uh, the sensitivity of reading the Braille, it's um, because it's hard Braille, it's really easy to read. I mean, even I can read it, and I'm primarily a, a sight reader, but I can actually read. I can only read Braille, touch read Braille on the Canute and on the Orbit 20. Those are the only... I can't touch read braille paper braille. I don't have the sensitivity and I can't touch read um, piezoelectric. It's because it's got that uh, clearer signage quality braille. If you're very used to braille displays, then you have to learn to press it a little more lightly um, to avoid um, fatiguing your fingers, but that's not hard to, to do. One of the things that I, because I, I spend a lot of the time explaining, when I'm trying to explain this to, for example, uh, grant writers, um, they're mostly from outside of our world and they don't necessarily know the value of Braille. So I spend most of my time defending the value of Braille and defending why Braille is worth, is worth promoting when it has apparently declined from its from a higher use decades ago. Um, and the case I often make is it's a lot of the reason for the decline is because of the absence of pieces of technology like this. People are expected to use a very limited set of things. I like single-cell braille displays. I think it's interesting that someone makes a 14-cell braille display. It's convenient for pockets and so on. But when that's all you get, it's no wonder that fewer people end up using braille in their daily life. Because when, you have, when you're a print reader, you have print at every possible size. You have devices of, you know, from three inches up to up to 55-inch uh, television screens. Every possible option there's no reason not to. If you're a Braille reader, the options are far more limited. So primarily what we're trying to do is just create more options and we use it for whatever people want to use it for. And I, I don't know what people are going to use it for. Yeah, another case I could see is there's a lot of people, a lot of blind people are, who are interested in the proper formatting for puzzles, uh, crossword puzzles, Sudoku puzzles, um, fill-in-the-blank puzzles, you know, all those puzzles if you're using a single line braille display, you cannot do those crossword puzzles, and you know it's very difficult to do. So, like, I get conundrum from the UK, but I have to get in a hard copy. It would not work on my braille display. I would not be able to understand the um, words. You know, there's word searches in there. You can't do a word search like that in single lines, but you could do it nine lines at a time. Yeah, we've got. I've got a a word search generator for the. Can you? Um, oh, wow. I didn't develop it. It's just available on the internet, and it works off straight away on the Canute. Oh, another question someone might uh, want to do some more mind reading, Lisa, is often about maintenance. Uh, just like every Braille display, the Canute does not work particularly well with ingress, but it's pretty robust. We don't have many machines stopping with stuff going into it. Um, we've had hairs being spat back out by the mechanism, the same mechanical mechanism, so it can actually churn through things quite well but nonetheless um, it will require the occasional cleaning uh, and you do often it will happen that someone will need to send their commute back to have a column changed and we will swap the column out and so the commute 360 can you describe again the pricing for it and what, what it is compared compared to the console 
Give me a second. Okay. The uh, Canute 360, it depends on exactly which distributor you buy it from, uh, but currently it is at around $3,100. could be $3,200. That'll depend on the distributor. The Canute console is $4,700, thereabouts. Again, it will depend on your your distributor. That... The console is currently only available directly from Bristol Braille, so that's uh, in, in pounds. Um, so it's, a, it's about $1,500 uh, difference. Can you uh, use the console as a 360? Yes, you can unplug. So you get a 360 as part of the console. You okay. can unplug the Canute 360 and then use it as a standalone ebook reader. Okay. Oh, that's very interesting. Anyone that has bought a Canute 360 can later upgrade it to a console for around about um, £1,500. Okay, so that's another way to split it up, the cost, if you can. Yeah. That's good to know. Yeah. Um, And like I said, we're we're just about to add on um, uh, pay-by-installments as well, although the pre-order for the Canute console is already only 50% up front. Well, we really have appreciated all your time. I'm, uh, I'm glad we were able to get together. We, we are still getting used to working with people that are in different time zones, and so, you know, it's, uh, it was quite a challenge to make sure that we got everybody under, uh, you know, straightened out there. And I really appreciate your time. Thank you. And I, I was going to uh, give some contact details, so I should yes, do that now. So the contact details, um, firstly, I'll start with the website. So it's bristolbraille.org, so B-R-I-S-T-O-L, braille.org. People are second to write that down. If you go on the contact page, you'll find numbers to call us on. Please do feel free to call those numbers. There's a U.S. number on there. Do bear in mind that... um, we're in the UK, so we won't necessarily pick up if it's uh, outside of uh, uh, past noon, your time. Um, at the email address uh, for general inquiries, uh, which will be picked up by my colleague Charlie, who uh, arranged this with Lisa, is um, is enquiries. That's an E N Q I R E I S. So inquiries with an E. Uh, at bristolbraille.org. Or if you would like to speak to me personally, you can email me at ed.rogers, so that's ed. R-O-G-E-R-S, at bristolbraille.org. Great. Ed, thank you so much. We really appreciate you coming on, and uh, I know you're very probably getting tired. <laughs> it's late there, isn't it? So thank you so, so much. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure, and um, I look forward to coming back another time and chatting about anything else. Thank you um, so much, and it was very we fascinating. Also, Thank you. We do all the stuff at the Brailist Foundation. If anyone's interested in computer science, they can oh, go to the yeah. Brailist Foundation. Um, so it's this is a charity, and anyone that's interested in stuff about what I've been talking about but is not immediately able to or interested in buying a Canute, 
we do do a lot of things which are all free, um, which are podcasts and masterclasses for learning things like computer science or for other aspects of Braille. And that is braillelists.org. That's braillelistsplural.org. Thank you so much for coming. Oh, thank you. And um, have a good afternoon. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Soundprints. Have a great week, everybody.